We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 here in just a moment. If you want to turn there, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 19. It's the text we're going to look at today. We're going to start at the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 9, uh, Luke records for us one of the most dynamic conversion stories that can be told. It's the conversion of Saul. Uh, Saul is actually in, in Acts chapter 9 on his way up the Damascus road to Damascus with the purpose of imprisoning and persecuting Christians. And there on the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus. He makes his way to Damascus, but instead of persecuting and instead of imprisoning, he joins the fellowship of believers there in Damascus in worship and in fellowship. And it is a remarkable trip. Prior to that encounter on the Damascus road, Paul had viewed Jesus simply as an imposter. He was a false messiah. That's why Paul was so adamant about throwing these people in prison because they're leading people astray from what is true. Paul had miscalculated who Jesus was mainly upon the externals or as our text will say in a moment, according to the flesh. Jesus did not fit the mold that Paul and others had envisioned the Messiah would be. Uh, for a lot of different reasons. One, I think the Pharisees and guys like Paul thought Jesus would show up and come and pat him on the back and give him some applause and say, thanks guys for bringing me here. I'm, I'm so glad that I can be a part of this. But, but what was his approach to the Pharisees? You are whitewashed sepulchers. You guys look great on the outside, but on the inside, you're, you're rotten. And they didn't like that very much, but I think the, probably the biggest thing for Paul as a Pharisee is he, he, he noted that the life of Jesus was actually the death of Jesus. Jesus died on a tree. And Paul, as a student of the Old Testament and as a lover of the Old Testament law, knew that, that a person who hung on a tree was cursed. That couldn't be the Messiah, surely not. But after his conversion, Paul realized that his, his system of judgment, his means of evaluating people was flawed. As a matter of fact, just last week we saw some of that in the text as he takes a couple jabs at the false teachers because the false teachers are doing what Paul used to do. They're evaluating things based upon the external. What's interesting is they're evaluating Paul in the same way that Paul evaluated Jesus. They're saying the externals don't look good here, but we looked at that verse from the Old Testament that's, that's so powerful as we think about it when Samuel goes and he's going to crown the new king. And he goes there to Bethlehem and he lines up Jesse's sons and he thinks it's the biggest and the strongest and it's not and he makes his way through all until he comes. Oh, oh there's one more out in the field, David. You remember what the Lord speaks, that particular truth that he says, do not look on the appearance on height and stature because I have rejected him for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart. And so today this is where we begin. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. From now on, Paul writes, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, the externals. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, Paul offering a bit of confession there, we regard him thus no longer, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, 
God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. As Dustin's already encouraged us and reminded us this morning, that it is your word. And may we receive it as such today. May we not be dismissive, may we not receive it in vain, but may we truly desire, hunger, thirst for your truth. And God, I, I pray that you will help me. I'm overwhelmed with the, the magnitude of the truth in these verses and pray that you would help me to clearly communicate so that we leave here today rejoicing. Rejoicing in the salvation that is ours in Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. We want to begin with the disciple maker's erroneous evaluation of others. Just as Paul used to view others according to the flesh and, and based upon the externals, now the false teachers in Corinth are doing the same thing. Just as Paul once judged Jesus according to those externals, the Corinthians are now judging him according to those externals. They're looking at Paul's life and they're saying, Paul, he's not very attractive to look at. He's not, he, he's not uh, very uh, bold in his appearance. They're looking at him based upon the flesh. He's not wealthy. His speech isn't the most eloquent. And they're judging Paul based upon the externals. But we today, we have to take a moment as well and consider our own errors. We're often very good and quick to judge people upon the exteriors, the things that are going on in their life based upon the flesh. And if we're called to make disciples, we must heed the warning that, that we cannot harbor bias. We cannot harbor uh, that in our own hearts as we would judge other people. But let, let's start here. Let's start with an evaluation of Jesus. Think about Jesus in, in his own day and in today. Uh, in his own day, they looked at him and, and remember he said, who do people say that I am? Well, they say that you're John the Baptist. They say you're Elijah. They say that you're, you're some other prophet that's come back from the dead. They misunderstood who he was. Today they say this about Jesus. He was a, he was a revolutionary. Jesus was a, was, a, was a healer. He was a good teacher. And they leave it at that. But that's as far as they go. Paul clearly concludes we regard Christ according to the flesh no longer. In, in writing this, Paul isn't denying the, the humanity, or, or the, he isn't denying the humanity of Jesus. He was wanting to emphasize the deity of Jesus. You remember when Jesus did ask that question, who do people say that I am? Remember Peter gave a response. Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Do you remember how Jesus responded back to him? Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. This isn't something that you view externally. This is something that has been revealed to you through means of the Spirit. But for our application today, we need to recognize that we tend to evaluate others according to the flesh. That's a sinful bent that we have. We evaluate people based upon their looks. We evaluate people based upon their, their moral virtue, their wealth, their position, their, their connectedness. 
Are they famous? Their political affiliation, their nationality, their race, their gender. What car they drive, whether they homeschool or send their kids to public school or Christian school. There's all sorts of means by which we can evaluate others externally. I think of a couple stories in the scriptures. I think of when the children came to Jesus. What was the disciples and other people's approach to children? Hey, get them away from him. External, like get, the, get the kids away. And Jesus like, no, bring them. I think of that instance where the, the widow comes in and she drops the last of her coins into the temple offering and everybody would look externally and say, well, that's not much. But Jesus said she's given all she has. The internal matters. See, Paul decisively condemns using these worldly means of evaluating Jesus Paul even says and condemns these, these, these means of, of evaluating himself. Think of Philippians chapter three. He goes through the list. I'm a Hebrew. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee. And he says, none of it matters. None of the external matters. And he certainly says that we don't evaluate others according to these means either because there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is no slave nor free, male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So if we don't evaluate based upon the external and the flesh, then what do we evaluate by? That's where verse 17 comes in. Are they a new creation in Christ? Are they a part of Christ's new creation? Look at verse 17 with me again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And behold, listen to this, he says. The new has come. What incredible truth. What a beautiful verse to describe our life in Christ. So many levels to this. I want to walk you through a couple of those. The first one is this. What does it mean to be in Christ? This is one of Paul's favorite phrases that he uses throughout his letters. I think it's 76 times Paul uses this term to describe followers of Jesus, Christians, that they are in Christ. Our relationship with Jesus is not that we're beside Jesus, that we're behind Jesus, that we're under Jesus. What is it? We are in Jesus. We are in Him. There's no more intimate union than to be in Christ. It speaks to His substitutionary work for us. It speaks to the relationship that He is our representative most clearly understood and perceived, I think in my mind at least, in the, in the beautiful picture of baptism that we have. That, that we are with him and we, we die with him. We're buried with him and we're raised to new life with him. We are in Christ. Notice just a couple verses down, one of my favorite verses in all the scripture, verse 21. Paul comes back to this statement and says, for our sake, God made Christ, I'm adding those in so it's clear. For our sake, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that, what does it say? In him we might become the righteousness of God. What's happening in this verse? Jesus is substituting himself on our behalf. He's taking our sin upon himself and he's giving us his righteousness. It's what it, it's what it means to be in Christ. I love what Kent Hughes writes, he says, this being in Christ is the biography of every Christian. 
we bear the same biography, the same story. The new creation and the new that has come, second layer to what's going on here, this, this idea has its roots in the prophecies of the Old Testament. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah writes about the new that will come. And I want to read to you here from Isaiah. 700 years before Jesus, he writes this in chapter 43. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Something new will come. Now it will spring forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. That new thing that would come is a reference to Christ. If you remember back, I barely did, you might not, to the first chapter of 2 Corinthians where we talked about how Jesus is the yes to all the prophecies. He is the yes to the prophecy of being new creations. He fulfills those things for us. Third layer I want to add to this idea of being in Christ being a new creation. There's an individual level to this and there's a corporate level to this. Being a new creation, you are that as an individual, but you are also that corporately. Modern translations add in those personal pronouns that come, he is. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is. That's an addition into that's not in the Greek. The Greek simply reads, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. And why does that really matter? What's the difference? Why not supply the pronoun? Most agree that, that Paul wants us to understand that as individuals we are new creations, but we are not new creations alone. But rather, as a group, we are a part of a bigger new creation story. It's not just that Paul is a new creation, Josh is a new creation, Nathan is a new creation. We are new creations together in Christ. Jesus says this, I'm making all things new. So corporately, the church, new creation. New creations in him. And you may say, well, why, why does that matter? What difference does that really make? The difference is God is reconciling to himself a people. That's the story of Scripture. A people, a group of people from every tribe and every nation and every tongue and from all over the world, every different aspect of creation all of those external categories that we create, he's making a new creation out of all of them. Sometimes we may have the attitude, well, well I, don't, I don't like that person very much or I don't like those people very much. That's too bad. <laughs> he's making a new creation out of every nation and tribe and language and people. We grow to be like Christ in these things. And I, I think there's another point here with this idea of corporately. We can easily hear, especially in America, become so focused on the individual. Right? America is all about the individual and our individual rights. I'm not saying that's bad, but that can lead us to become selfish. And it can lead us to become arrogant and prideful to the disregard of others. And the truth of this, the truth of the, the corporate new creation reels us back in and reminds us that we're, we're a part of something bigger that God is doing with all people. One more point on verse 17. Go back to the beginning with me where he says, therefore, if anyone, if anyone, meaning there is some condition 
that's placed on this promise. If anyone is in Christ, what is the condition? What is required to be in Christ? Well, from elsewhere in Scripture, we know that to be faith. We know that to be putting our faith in Christ that what he did 2,000 years ago, he did and accomplished for me as my substitute. When he died, I died with him. When he rose, I rose with him. That's what it means to put our faith in the work of Christ. And that really leads us into the final two verses that we'll look at today, how we engage the gospel. This new creation work, this reconciling work is all from God. Notice verse 18. All this is from God. We don't usher it in. We don't accomplish it. We, we, we simply, we profoundly place our faith, our trust in the work that God has done through Christ. We don't contribute to it. Verse 19 reads, God reconciles, or it's all from God. He accomplishes this. Verse 19 reads, God reconciles, how? Through Jesus, by not counting our trespasses, our sins against us. Praise him for that. I got a long list of sins from this week that he's not counting against me because of Christ. What does it mean to reconcile? To reconcile is to reestablish a broken relationship. It's to replace where there once was enmity. We were enemies with someone, but now we're experiencing friendship. It's important that we note that, that God is not reconciled to humans or humanity, but rather he takes the initiative and reconciles humans to himself. Because in our sin, in our depravity, we would never make the first move to him. He makes the move to us. Jesus comes. Jesus lives his life. Grace, mercy, kindness. Through Jesus' life, through his death, through his resurrection, we're reconciled to God. Jesus' righteousness becomes our righteousness. Our sin becomes his sin, and he bears the punishment that we've incurred. This is what's happening on the cross. This is what it means to say that the old has passed away. That old way of living is no longer active. It's no longer present. The old is the, the old way is trying to work our way to God. The new way is the way of faith in putting our faith and trust in Him. The, the old way is living out of guilt rather than grace. Fear rather than faith. Productivity rather than promise. Friends, Jesus' life becomes our new life. Our union with Jesus is what reconciles us to the Father. This is good news. The new creation is good news for us. This is the hope that we long for. This is the hope that others long for. This is what they need to hear. The hope that there's a new creation. God can do something new in your life. And that's the next point that Paul makes. We clearly see that not only are we reconciled to God through Jesus, but we who have been reconciled are now given the ministry of reconciliation. Notice verse 18. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Notice verse 19. And God entrusting to us 
the message of reconciliation. For Paul, this is most assuredly a reference to his own personal commission there on the road to Damascus. Jesus told him, go, you're going to the Gentile world. You're going to share the gospel message with them. But we have to recognize as we sit here today, we have been given a commission as well. We've been called to the ministry of reconciliation. We've been entrusted with the gospel message and commissioned to take that message to the world. We're to act and live out of that which we have received. We have received reconciliation. Therefore, we live out that reconciliation to the world around us. So I want to distill all this down. Consider a few implications. Number one. What bias are present in your life? False teachers, previously Paul, had evaluated people based upon the externals rather than the internals of being a part of the new creation in Christ. Do you judge others? Spiritual life, their faithfulness based upon their social class. Well, surely... Surely that person can't be a genuine follower of Jesus. Based upon their race. Based upon their nationality. Based upon any other means. Do you have any bias? It's clear from Scripture that if that's present in your life, repent. Recognize that that's not the Spirit of Christ. That's, that's my own selfishness. That's, that's my own sinfulness as I am looking and evaluating others. In Christ, none of those things matter. Not in the least. Second question, have you been reconciled to God? Probably the most important question we could ask. Have you been reconciled to God? Are you a part of the new creation that God is bringing about through Jesus? Are you today, as you sit here, in Christ, united with Him? You know that in His death, He died for your sin. You know that in His resurrection, He lives so that you might bear His righteousness. Is this true of you? Have you ever confessed your need for Jesus? Have you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection? Scripture is clear, Romans 10. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, delivered. Another word for reconciled. Your relationship with the Father can be restored. Through Jesus. And so today, I would invite you, if that doesn't describe you, to be reconciled to God. Realize that, that He has already, through Christ, moved towards you. Friends, this is the grace and mercy that enemies and rebels do not deserve, yet He shows it. Do you see the evidence of new creation in your life? As you live out following Jesus, do you see the fruit of His Spirit? Do you see growth? And I'm not, I'm not talking about the daily struggles that we have, but as you examine your life over the course of a year and five years, do you see the evidence that He is moving you, as Paul has already said, from one degree of glory to another degree of glory, conforming you to the image of Jesus? Man, give Him praise for that today. That too is his work of new creation as he's restoring and reviving and bringing life to us. 
And then finally, what are you doing with the ministry of reconciliation that God has entrusted to you? I hope you clearly see today that that's your ministry. That's your responsibility. It's also my responsibility, but it's everyone who has been reconciled, everyone who would confess Jesus as Lord. It is our responsibility to share the ministry of reconciliation with others. If you've been reconciled to God, that doesn't terminate with you. It's meant to continue on. Are you sharing the message of reconciliation with others? Are you telling others that they too can be reconciled to God? Who are those people? Who are those people that you're praying for? Who are you preparing to talk to? It could be your children. It could be a coworker. Uh, it could be a neighbor, a family member. What are you waiting for? There's no better news than, hey, friend, you can be reconciled to God. You who were once an enemy can now be the friend of God. You who were once alone can now be child of God ministry of reconciliation isn't telling people to make peace with God but telling them God has already uh, made people uh, God has already made peace through Christ are you reconciling yourselves to others as well not only are we supposed to encourage others to be reconciled to God but we're also to use the gospel in our union with Jesus to be reconciled to others with whom we have enmity. The ministry of reconciliation isn't just about, oh, I want to make this thing right with God. It's also about, I need to make this right with other people. I need to make sure that I'm right with those around me. That person, maybe you've become embittered. Maybe they've hurt you. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. How does what God accomplished through Christ provide you with a pattern and power to work towards reconciliation. Forgiveness, patience, long-suffering, forbearing, all of that comes to play as we think about God's work in us, for us, and how we're to share that with the world around us. Second thing I would say, third thing I would say on this point is, are you helping others reconcile their human relationships as well? Are we engaging in each other's lives to exhort them not only to be reconciled to God, but be reconciled to others as well? Letting them see in the gospel that it's not just this, but it's this. It's not just the vertical, it's the horizontal and helping them understand being peacemakers like God our Father, helping them work through the ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to ask you today if you'd bow with me. If you need to pray today with somebody, I would encourage you to make your way to our prayer room over here just to my right. Jason and Heather are here. They're ready to pray with anyone who needs to be reconciled to God. If that's you here today, we don't want you to leave here today with questions, with concerns. We want you to leave here today with faith. Maybe today there's tensions between you and another believer. It could be somebody who's sitting right next to you, somebody in your family. And you need to make sure that that is reconciled. You need to make sure that there's no walls of division that exist between you. 
Maybe it's another church member. Maybe today you need to pray with that individual. You need to go to that individual. You need to confess the struggle that exists there. Don't squander the opportunity God has given us today to be doers of this word. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to give us now this opportunity to pray. If you do need to pray with somebody, make your way up here to the front. Jason and Heather will meet you by the prayer room. But if nothing else today, if you know you're here, I'm reconciled to God. I'm good with the people around me. Then just give thanks today for the work of Christ in his life and death and resurrection. Let's take some time to pray. Father, today we give you thanks. Because when we wouldn't move, or maybe to better understand, when we were moving away from you, you pursued us with the offer of reconciliation. with the offer of being a part of, of, of a new creation that you're accomplishing through Christ. Old things passed away, new has come. What an incredible gift you've given to us. Lord, help us to think on that. Help us to, to not only ponder it, but to delight in it. Help us to, to live out of that. Help us to today uh, leave here considering the truth of the gospel of Jesus, and then let that shape the way we respond to our families. Let that shape the way that we interact with others around us. Let that shape the way that we um, are motivated to, to tell people that they too can be reconciled to God. Lord, we don't want to be motivated by guilt and fear, performance, any of those externals. We want to leave here today being motivated by the gospel to live a life faithfully following you because of what you have done for us. Thank you for entrusting us with the ministry of reconciliation. Help us this week to, to engage in it, to use it as we interact with others. We pray these things in Jesus' name.